Amen. Amen. Good evening. You want my pretty purple Bible? I got one. Thank you. <laughs> God is so good. And uh, we just welcome you here tonight. It's going to be a good night. I want you to be expecting. I want you to uh, be expecting even that uh, while we're ministering, that the power of God and his love will be working in you. So you can expect that God may heal you. He may give you the answer to what you've been praying for. It could be all kinds of things, but he's going to be moving. His love wants to connect with you. And so be in expectation for that. And uh, we just, uh, I'd, I'd like to uh, welcome uh, Brother Kenneth Brown. Is that, did I say that right? Good. Yeah. He is over uh, Andrew Womack School in Charlotte and uh, Karis Bible College and recently sent us some information that I'm going to be looking at and then sharing with you. And uh, so we look forward and we just welcome you. Thanks for, he said, the Lord told me to come tonight. I said, praise God, what a blessing. So that, that blessing, I love seeing anybody that will hear from the Lord, seek him in the first place and then be obedient to him. It's an awesome thing. So let's, uh, let's turn to Hebrews uh, chapter 6 and verse 11 and 12. And we've been talking about for quite some time. We've had several interruptions. I put together this little framework of something to hold a picture, thinking that I might teach on it, you know, for a, a week or two or three. And I think this is <laughs> this might be six or seven. I don't know, but um, it's still holding together. We had to replace some of the tape a couple of times, but it's working. So uh, we have it on the screen, but it, it's easier to see here uh, when we. Uh, do the live stream and stream and the archives. Um, one of the things that we're talking about the this series is winning faith projects. And I told you at the beginning, I thought you know winning faith battles. But we got to understand where we're seated in heavenly places That's with right. Christ. The battle's over. It's finished. The devil will try to tell you that there's still a battle, but there's not. It's done. He's won. Game over. The question is whether or not you will apply what Jesus did. And so we, we're on, what I did say is that you have projects that God will bring up to you, faith projects. He'll put you on them. And we got to know as believers how to win them. Our job is, you know, my job particularly is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, building them up to the fullness of the stature of Christ, all right? So in order to be who God's called us to be and be walking like Jesus, we got to know how to accomplish a task or a project that Jesus gives to us by the Holy Spirit. We got to know how to do that. Well, a lot of times people don't know, uh, Deb and I and Nicole were having some conversation and this, I, I think what happened the very first night that I introduced this was eyes were opened and I, after, you know, as everybody was leaving the first night, everybody went, this is everybody all the time. I said, yes, it is. And that's because whether or not you know it or not, you are in some part of this now, probably in several different areas of your life. Guarantee you, you're somewhere in there, and this affects you. And, uh, but Hebrews uh, chapter 6 and verse 11 says this, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence, and, and why are we showing diligence? So as to realize the full assurance of hope, until the end. In other words, he, we're, he's wanting us to apply some diligence to what we're about to walk in and talk about. And why? So that our hope can carry on to the end. Now, hope is a joyful, confident expectation. In other words, it, your joy should go to the end. There shouldn't be a break in it. Your confidence should go to the end. There shouldn't be a break in it. Your expectation in God's promises should go to the end of it. There shouldn't be a break in it. If you ever find that any one of those are being stolen, what the devils do is he's grading on your hope, uh, just like in Acts 27 when they're going around in the ship, and he was, it says that gradually our hope was, all hope was lost. And that's what the devil does. He tries to grade on you, and that's part of this trap. He's telling us right here, by the Holy Spirit, there's a way to not lose hope. To not lose joy, to not lose confidence, to not lose expectation. So here's the thing. If you can walk in that, 
then what you're seeing, one of the things that the Lord told me a while back was, if you start to see that joy is lost or confidence is lost or expectation is lost, that's a symptom that something in my life, is, I'm missing it somewhere. Okay, doesn't mean God's gone somewhere. It means that somewhere I've probably missed it. I've, I've not walked in love. I've missed it somehow. So it's a great symptom. It, it's just like when you get close to the oven and you start feeling heat on your fingertips before you touch it. It's a symptom. Something's off. Well, let's remedy that. Let's get away from whatever is ungodly and move to that place. Why? Because uh, you have to, because if you don't, God's going to strike you down? No, because God loves you and you love God. That's your motivation for everything. So in this, he's saying, look, I'm telling you how to have this and not lose that hope. And then he says in verse 12, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Now, the King James says this, that you will follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So one of the first things that you want to see here is that God's told us who to follow and who to imitate. And that's the people that inherit the promises. They don't just talk about them. It's not theory. They see results. When they believe God, they see miracles. They see ears open. And, and, and you know, I was thinking about that within the past couple of months. We've seen deaf hear and blind see at another place I was ministering at. We're seeing this stuff. Well, those are the kind of people that you want to follow that know how to get results in the kingdom. They know how to bring the kingdom of God and have it manifest on the earth. Okay? So those are the people that you want to follow. You got somebody that's preaching that all day long, but they don't have any results? That that's who it says don't follow. <laughs> it says follow the ones that do this. And so what you want to look at is this, and this is a great promise. By faith and patience, we inherit the promises. Now, this is so simple, and don't overlook it, but as long as you keep those two things going and you put them in combination, you are going to receive the promises. If you do those two things, you can't stop them. You can't stop them. You know why? Because God said it. His word doesn't return void. You will receive the promise. As soon as I got a hold of that one day, this became very simple. And I just realized I've got to find the things that will stop my faith or I've got to find the things that will stop my patience. Put an end to those, I receive the promises. Yep. It, it was that simple. Once I realized that, every, everything started to simplify because I just saw that the devil was trying to steal some of this. Now, so what we've done is I had uh, wanted to show you a couple of things. I made a note before I came, something the Lord gave me. Okay, next, this thing is, how do you recognize that you're in the cycle? So the basis of this, if you haven't seen it before, is you're running the race of God. You're on the race. You're on this timeline of God. And then somewhere in there, God will give you a vision or a promise or something that he wants you to have, to have or attain. At that point, Generally, you're pretty hyped up about it. You walk out saying amen, hallelujah, and walking on clouds of God, you know, and just his glory. Uh, that is, if you've learned such things. If you haven't learned such things, you just never even get a hold of the vision well, and, well, you're already in the cycle. You didn't even make it down here. You just keep going right here because God will keep bringing it back to you until you get it. <laughs> he doesn't change what he says. And then, but right here, this is, I would say that this is the entanglement of the world. Uh, this is a big portion of what happens right here. You know, our job, what did he tell us about his word and his promises? He said, meditate on it day and night. This is what he told Joshua. He, he showed us a principle. And so our job is to meditate on the word. Well, that's not just promises in here, but if the Holy Spirit has ministered something to you personally and you absolutely know that it's God, you've, you've sought you know, your pastor and said, hey, I think God told me something, and y'all come to the agreement that it's God and you know it's God, well, you need to meditate on that too. 
You know, I can remember when we started the church, he said, Boomerang will be a new direction for Albemarle. And every now and then I would pick that up and, and I would say, yes, it will be a new direction. I needed to meditate on that. Well, there's periods of time in that where you don't do that as much. And so what does the flesh do? The flesh always is warring against the spirit and, and it's trying to pull you off of that. God, the, the Holy Spirit's always going to be telling you and reminding you about the vision or the promise. But the flesh is going to be trying to pull you away from that. Okay. Now, this can happen in, in several different ways. One of those is just the entanglements of the world. You know, in uh, Luke chapter 4, in the parable of the uh, sower, you see where the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, rises up and chokes the seed. Well, what's it choking? It's choking the seed of the word. It's choking the love of God and what his plan is and what his will is. And it chokes and kills the fruit. That's what this area is right here. And so what rises up is all of a sudden you stop. You stop thinking about that. You stop meditating on that. You stop strengthening yourself in the power of what God said, his rhema uh, to you, his revelation to you. And all of a sudden the power of that, where it was so strong when you first heard it, it starts to diminish. Well, right behind that, the flesh comes and it tries to suck you down and get you to do anything but... Stay on the path of God. It's a, it's a corrupted flesh. Sometimes you could say it was the devil and his demons that would do that. But a whole bunch of times, it's just your flesh <laughs> because it's corrupted. That, that's its nature and it's warring. And so then what, is, what happens? During this period of time, here's the kind of things that your flesh says. Uh, let, me, let me just show you this. When you're in the vision period of time, that's when the word of God comes alive to you. Man, you're sitting there and you feel it. You're in the service and it, man, you get that promise. Or you read a scripture, it comes alive to you. He's giving you vision. Or he's already said it and said his plan in the word and you finally take it for yours, right? In this period, this is when uh, you're sitting on the couch uh, when the when the vision kind of diminishes. This is when you're sitting on the couch and the Holy Spirit's going, go read your Bible, go pray. Go, or, you know, God's saying, Go, go spend some time with me. Just, just, just sit with me. Have some, have some quality time. And your flesh goes, watch TV. <laughs> go, go, go check Facebook. Um, you don't have to actually think and meditate on that all the time. That's what that sounds like right there. And all of a sudden, the care, or it says something like this. Uh, go, go, put your, go put your resume out there because if you don't put it out there, how are they going to find you? Now that sounds like, well, that doesn't sound like a bad idea, Brian. Until it becomes something that God didn't tell you to do. It's your flesh trying to maintain the flesh. All of a sudden, you're, you're applying for a job God never told you to do. It's the cares of this world getting you off of what he actually told you to do. And so it chokes it. There's all kinds of things that will happen. But then you get to this area, and what's happening is you have this war going on between your spirit and your flesh, and if you haven't submitted and crucified the flesh, then you've got this tug of war going back and forth between you because you haven't put that flesh down in that area in your life. And so what happens is all of a sudden the flesh starts having you say stuff like this. Man, I just... I can't do this anymore. I can't hold on to faith anymore. Man, doesn't God know that I'm, I'm struggling here? And this is the time where you really need to watch that. Uh, I can't do this. It's too much. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm done. I'm done. I, I can't do this anymore. I can't uphold this. Maybe you're believing for healing and you just, I, I just can't take it anymore. You know, I, I, I just, I can't, I can't do this. Maybe you were believing for finances and the bill was due on Friday and this is Thursday and you're like, doesn't God know this thing's due tomorrow? Yeah, he does. He does. The devil's trying to get you to let go of your patience so that you won't receive the promise. He's using your flesh to do it. That's what that looks like. And then you have this little section here when you break off of the path of God 
and you've listened to the flesh, and the truth is you feel a relief. I mean, you feel pressure fall off of you. But what you're feeling is the pressure of the flesh leaving you alone because you broke off of the plan of God. The plan that the Holy Spirit had you on, you're feeling that relief. And that lasts generally only for a very short period of time. And then all of a sudden, uh, you have some conviction by the Holy Spirit that says, yeah, you missed it. You missed it. And and I, I wrote this down um, and Deb was asking some a lot of what I'm talking about right now is out of some questions that she's ha- that she had. She said, "How do I know when I'm in each one of these?" You know, and I'm trying to give you some things to connect to that. And but here's one of the things I could read your mail. I could give you a complete word of knowledge on the situation that you're going through right now, and I could say exactly what your flesh, what the spirit says, what the devil says, what God will say to you, everything, and completely read your mail. I mean, word for word what they said, but here's what's going to happen. You're going to get home, and you're still going to be living life, and you're going to think, well, this is normal life, and at some point, you've got to connect the two, because I could be saying word for word what your flesh and the spirit and everything is. At some point, you're going to be in the middle of that subject, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's going to help you, and you're going to go, oh my goodness, that's what Pastor Brian said. You've got to, you have to make the connection to this at home. So what I want you to get is not the exact things that the flesh or the word says. I want you to recognize the pattern and I want you to see the truth on this in the word. I want you to see how to deal with it. You need to get revelation on this. Most, most people I think already can see how they've done that in the past. What you want to get is, I want to see this when it's happening right now. I want to know right now where I'm at. So you ask the Holy Spirit to show you. He'll help enlighten you. But you've got to want to discipline your mind and your flesh for that to be opened. And not just go through life thinking, well, this is just normal life. It has nothing to do with what Pastor Brian talked about because that's not true. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants you to think that what I'm saying here is worthy of an amen, but it's not worthy of living by. That's what he tries. Okay, so one of the things that will happen is when, what's the difference between condemnation and conviction? How do I know which is which? Because it's very important to know which one is which. Because most of the time, I'll, I'll put it like this, most people in America that I've found in my experience are living under heavy condemnation all the time. It's, I've only seen it recently where people started to come out some on a regular basis of condemnation and live in the righteousness of God. Very, very few that I've seen that live in that place. So you can pretty much say, looking backwards at your life, I've lived in a lot of condemnation. I think every single one of us in here can say that and be right on target. Here's condemnation. And, and with condemnation, there's always a pressure, okay? And condemnation, this is my words, and I'm, I'm just kind of trying to summarize what I know about it in Scripture is, and, and how it feels. I want it to be real to you and relate to you, is this. Condemnation is, you are so bad, you've done so bad, and there's no hope. And you can't change. You're not going to change. You're always going to be the same. That's, that's condemnation. And the church has done that a lot to people. Can't believe you sinned like that. The church has said stuff like that. Completely opposite of the Spirit of God. Completely opposite. Conviction, actually, now listen to this. Man, the Lord gave me this and this blessed me so much. Conviction says this. This is the Holy Spirit ministering to you. You are so great. Now you, now go be you, that great one, through Christ. That's conviction. You are so great. Now go be you through Jesus. And then he'll show you what Jesus does. He believes in you, has faith in you. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so right here, conviction comes in and he says, Hey, you're great, 
That wasn't you. That wasn't you. Now go be you through Christ. But generally right in, these kind of, sometimes they intermingle. And then right there, the devil comes in. You know that you've missed it. The devil comes in and he tries to heap on condemnation. You know, conviction is going to be the Holy Spirit showing you scripture and showing you, hey, this is what you should have done. This is how you could avoid that in the future. And the condemnation is, God, you sorry piece of something else. That's what condemnation is. And the devil just, man, he will heap it on. And he likes doing it. He, he's a scoundrel. He likes doing that. God likes building you up. He believes in you. He loves you. He believes in you because he knows if you'll just take the hand of Jesus, you're always being led to triumph. Amen. That's all it takes. Take Jesus by the hand. Thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And then somewhere, if you know anything, a lot of people live in this. Uh, a lot of people will live in that for years, live in condemnation for years yeah. on one item. I mean, they'll live in condemnation sometimes for the rest of their life. But then some of you, like you guys, go to a good church. And before you know it, somebody's going to say, somebody's going to say, hey, don't live, that condemnation, you've got nothing to do with that anymore. It's the devil who condemns, who puts the pressure, tells you how bad it is. It's the Holy Spirit that says you can do this. And so you drop the condemnation and you start moving into the healing of God. The healing of God is where he, he lifts you back up. It's the healing of God is, is where he starts to uh, tell you how to not do that again. He starts to tell you how great you are in Christ. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. He's an exhorter. He builds you up. But he, he shows you how to not make those mistakes again too. And then he starts, part of the healing process is he starts taking you right back to the vision he gave you in the first place because you got to accomplish that. That's what he gave to you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We know that if he gave it to us, we can succeed at it. We can succeed at it. We know. All right? So that's what that looks like. Did that help answer a lot too? Good, good. So you have to, you must have two things to win the promises. And what we're going over right now is one through five, as quickly as I can, uh, how do I win faith projects and not get caught in this trap, this cycle trap, and go around the mountain a hundred times before I win it. How can I, you know, once you learn this, and once you start applying these things of God, you'll learn that I can go through everything. I, it can be the first time I've ever come to it. I never have to get caught in that cycle again. I just hold on to faith. I hold on to patience. God will do his part, and he'll come through. So this is, this is that. But here's the things... In this promise, we have two things. We have, you must have faith, and you must have patience. And we know in Hebrews uh, 1 that faith is the substance of things hoped for. And so if you take away hope, there's no faith either. So what the devil does, and he's programmed your flesh to operate this way, is he tries to steal one of those elements, faith, hope, Love empowers faith, faith, hope, love, and patience. He tries to steal those. So he'll work in all different kinds of ways, and what he's after is to take away one of those ingredients that will ensure your promise coming to you. He tries to take one of those away. So number one is know your position. You need to know, you need to have a revelation of who you are in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2. Go read that over and over and over. Ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten you until you get a revelation that all things on this earth are under your feet because they're under Christ's feet and I'm seated with him in heavenly places. I'm not waiting on anything. I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. The heavenly things are the root of all physical things in Hebrews eleven three, I know this. I know who I am. I know what I'm blessed with. I know what my inheritance is in Christ. I didn't do it. He did it. And then he decided somehow, some way, that I would be a part of it. Amen. That he would, he would include me. What a merciful and loving God. Yes. 
man, what a great plan. It's like, I didn't deserve that at all. But thank goodness he included me. And when I know that I'm seated with him, not seated on the earth as far as authority goes, I'm seated with him in heavenly places, the seat of God's power, the seat of his throne. His throne is heaven. The earth is his footstool. And all things are under Christ's feet. That means I'm a part of his body. Even if I'm the least part of his body, they're still under my feet. That's who you are. Know your position. Get revelation on it. That'll open up all kinds of stuff there all by itself. Just getting a revelation of, of that, won't it, brother? Number two is uh, believe the promises. And let me, let me go back. Know your position. Now, if you don't know your position, what's the devil after? Well, if you don't know, Brother Hagin used to say that faith begins where the will of God is known. So if you don't know the promises or you don't know your position, it makes it very difficult to have faith. In other words, if, if uh, the devil comes up to me or my flesh comes up to me and says, you have no right to believe God for that vision, and, and I don't know that I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ, then I'm like, you're right, I don't know, I don't have that right. And I go, oh, you know, and go, and, and I've lost. He's stolen faith from me. Well, he steals faith. Now I don't get the promises. But when he comes in and he says, you don't have a right to what God promised you. And I, and I say, you don't have a right to even speak to me. Go away in Jesus' name. Here's the word of God. Put the devil on the run because I know my position. Now he can't say a thing about it. Well, he can try, but he's not going to get through to you because you know your position. Okay? So if you don't know your position, he's going to be able to actually probably steal all four of those things, uh, faith, hope, love, and patience. Number two, you must believe the promises. You can't just know about the promises. <laughs> You've got to believe. Yep. Are you all believers? Then let's do what we are. Let's believe. That means I've got to put faith in something. That means I've got to stretch out into something I can't see. If hope is required for faith, and hope for, I only need hope for things that can't be seen, then that means I'm going to constantly be putting hope and faith in things that I cannot see. I have no physical uh, evidence. I only have the spiritual evidence of the promise of God. So I'm constantly going to be, and without faith it's impossible to please God, so faith is going to be required from me all the time. That means I'm constantly going to have stuff that God says, I want you to believe for something. I'm asking you to believe for it. So constantly, if he's asking me to believe for something, there's... All righty. There's... Am I still on? <laughs> it, there's constantly going to be, that, that was probably whatever you just kicked or whatever, just leave it alone right now. It's probably a loose wire or something. I don't know. Anyway, so if I'm constantly having to believe for something, here's what that means. There's constantly going to be something I can't see. Let me, let me just relieve you. I, I lived a large portion of my Christian life and, and here's what I thought. I thought that one day I would arrive at a certain level of faith and when I just turned towards a problem, I would just be like, faith. And it would go away. <laughs> I just thought, you know, I could arrive at this place. And, and then, you know, and so I started going after God and going after the promise. I remember healing in particular. I, I saw some people healed and I'm like, look at that. I have arrived at healing faith. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. It's going to be easy now. I went down the road a few, few days, months, whatever. All of a sudden, healing wasn't working. You know why? Because there is no arriving at a place of faith. You are a place of faith. You carry it with you all the time. It's always going to be required of you. You're never not going to be required to have faith. And so what I realized is this is not an arrival place. This is a constant me putting the word in because I love God, because it's who he is. I need to become more like him. He's always going to be requiring faith from me. 
Well, that took pressure off. Because I kept thinking, I kept being really disappointed and under condemnation because I hadn't arrived. And as soon as I realized it's always going to be required of me, I'm like, well, I just give myself to that then. And all that pressure went away. And you know what started happening? Things started working. <laughs> because I was trying to make it, I was trying to pay for something instead of walking in the righteousness of God. All right. So we've got to believe the promises. In order to believe the promises, you've got to know the promises. That means you've got to be you know, in your word, meditating on them. You've got to be hearing about them, having them preached to you. Faith comes through hearing. That comes in that context of where that's written in Romans chapter 10. That's through preaching. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. That context right there is through preaching. So one of the ways that faith comes is through preaching. So a lot of people, they just want to believe uh, God for all kinds of stuff, but they don't even know what the promises are. How can you believe if you don't know what the promise is that he said that it's out there? So is it, it's easy for the devil to steal that. So somebody will come, God will give them a vision for somewhere in their life, but they don't know where any of the promises are. They haven't studied to show themselves approved. They haven't gone after God in love, and they don't have the promises, and then they want faith to work. Ain't going to happen. It's not, it's, that's not the way it works. Why? Because God said it that way. But when we love God, we'll go after him not even because we're trying to win a faith project. We'll go after him just because we love him. Now, this is our motivator, and this will never stop. Amen. And now we can go in there, and we can study, and we can grow in his promises, and we can grow in the things that, you know, how good he is and how much he loves us. And then all of a sudden, you see something that is not love, you start to recognize that. Even if you don't know the scripture, I know that ain't God because that's not love. Yeah. That helps us stay in this faith, stay in this hope. We've got to believe the promises, but we've got to know what they are. We also have to, in order to believe on the promises, we have to maintain hope. Remember, joy, confidence, and expectation. You see a gap in one of those, you know that you're missing it in some area, and the devil's trying to steal that from you because he's trying to pull that faith down. Faith, one of the key ingredients there, he's trying to pull on hope so it will destroy faith. So constantly, see, hope is one of the, you know, there's three things that abide, faith, hope, and love. And, and I hear people talking a lot about love and a lot about faith. Very rarely do you hear people talking about hope, but, well, we believe in it. So <laughs> there's, uh, but that's because he told us to focus on it. It's one of the most powerful things that you can have in your life and it's the great gift from God we're supposed to carry it with us everywhere we go he is the God of hope the God of joy the God of confidence the God of expectation and he wants your hope to be full yeah. Romans fifteen thirteen. he wants you to be full praise God so anytime you start seeing that hope go away all of a sudden, you can know this is not God at work. Either somewhere in me or somewhere outside of me, somebody's trying to steal this hope to break down this process of winning these promises, winning these faith projects. That's not God. Let me find out what that is and let me and my authority go and handle business there. Okay? As an ambassador of Christ. Number three is don't grow weary. Galatians 6.9. Um, this, this goes along with hope in the fact that the devil's constantly trying to wear on you and wear you out. And in this process right here, he's trying to wear on you so that you'll get to the place where you say, I just can't do it anymore. He'll, he'll try to wear on you so that you'll say, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. But it says there, we will reap. If we do not grow weary, we will reap, period. We got, you know, God chooses his words very carefully. He, he doesn't just throw words around. Matter of fact, 
In James, he says, if you do throw your words around and you're not control of your tongue, he said, your religion's worthless. Well, God's religion is not worthless. He knows exactly what he says. And when he says, look, you will reap in due time. You will reap if you do not grow weary. He meant it. So we want to find those things that wear on us, that pull us down. And if we can eliminate those in our lives, all of a sudden we'll, do a, we'll stand a lot better chance of not growing weary, right? So how do we do that? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. And these verses right here, man, they are so powerful. Verse 1 and 2. And let's just read both of them. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside, and, and let me just say something. In Hebrews 11, you just had what's called the Hall of Fame of Faith, and you have all these people that faced all these extraordinary circumstances, and they won. They put faith, and God answered. And so there's several things that this cloud of witnesses can mean, but let me give you one that I believe most people will all agree on, and that is that if we can look at them and they had faith and God met them, since we have that group of witnesses, that cloud of witnesses, we can pull strength that if he gives us a promise, he'll answer us too. We, we can pull some strength there. So let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now I'll tell you, if you'll read those verses and really take some time there, everything I'm talking about is basically in those verses. Every step is right there in there, pretty much. But the, one of the first things he says is, you know, if we're going to run the race, are you not going to get really weary if you carried an extra 60 pounds on you? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what he says sin and temptation is. And have you ever tried running your Christian life with sin in it? And, and how was that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, not too good, right? It really stinks. When you have one world and one foot in that and one foot in, in the kingdom, man, that's a bad place to be. I don't like that. It doesn't work. And, and here's the other thing. What about just temptation? Because you notice it didn't just say sin. It said temptation too. Have you? I've had this. I, I've had this. I didn't recognize this for a long time. But I'm walking. I'm not, I'm not sinning, but I'm letting temptation hang around a little bit too long. I'm thinking on it, dwelling on it. Well, Jesus really told us we sin when we dwell on it anyway, when we spend too much time on it. We're hitting that mark. But that thing can weigh us down just as much. You know why? Because let's say you got a temptation and, and uh, in your life and the devil put it there in, in your head and in your mind and then he comes along and goes, see, you even thought about that. Why did you think about that? You are a Christian. I can't believe you're so bad. Now, what is this? Condemnation. Yep. And it says, Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is against the law of God. But if you don't know this, you will allow it in your life by your own authority. And now you are carrying extra weight and wondering why you're getting so tired. But, Every time that we see that temptation and then we just keep on being like, oh yeah, that would be so nice. Mm. We're just adding to our own weight. And then we're fussing at the, you know, we're fussing at the preacher. <laughs> why is this not working? I don't know. Why isn't that working? <laughs> you know, that's what I want to say sometimes. <laughs> but why is this well, we've got to do what, what the Lord has told us to do. I've done that too. I, I've completely done that. Too many times. Enough where it makes me sick to even think about it. But we've got to understand that if we just even carry those temptations with us, they weigh us down. Right. 
And then we don't, here's the other thing. We're not just talking about you finishing your race. We're talking about you finishing your race with excellence, efficiency, productivity, or your faith project. Because the faster you come out the other side of this in victory in Christ, the faster God can give you another one and a bigger one and it'll help more people. So, see, a lot of times we're thinking about these things, well, this is just me and it doesn't matter to everybody else. And the Word tells us the law of love is to love your neighbor as yourself, to, to operate in the law of love, the royal law. Which means we've got to not just look at this like it's just me because I can be in my house and all I'm doing, look, I get tempted by something. I don't even do it, but I just think on it for too long. I just weighed myself down, which means I finish that race slower or I don't finish certain parts of it, which means that the people around me now don't receive that blessing either. So it's not just me by myself in my house. Love considers that. Love takes that into consideration and said, we're not just talking about me here. Love says, love sits at home when nobody else is looking. And I've told you all this story before, but it just, it blesses me um, now. It it didn't when God did it to me, but (laughs) it was... uh, I was walking and I was going from the kitchen into my office and right where the podium in is was the front door and I had me a piece of cake and I was so happy and uh, I was about to have some good cake and, and so I couldn't wait till I got to my office so I took a bite of my cake right there and a little crumb went ding, 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 ding and I took about and landed on the floor by the front door and, uh, and I walked about three steps and the Holy Spirit said, you going to pick that up? And, and I'm not proud of this. <laughs> this is not a good moment for me. But I said, my, I didn't say it. My thought was, this is my house. <laughs> God, this is my house. I can leave that crumb there if I want to. But I never said that, thank the Lord. And, uh, but the Holy Spirit said, Character does the right thing whether somebody's looking or not. Amen. I was like, <laughs> let me pick up this crumb, Holy Spirit. Take it to the trash can. <laughs> Another moment I'm not proud of. <laughs> Put it in the trash. You know, not happy about that. But, but from that moment on, I realized that what I do, whether people see it or not, it affects how I run the race. Because my character affects anointing that I can carry. It affects the power to see people healed. Well, this is not just for pastors. God wants every one of us empowered. Those that believe will see these things. He's talking about you. So your character affects how you run that race. Set the sin and temptation aside and don't grow weary. Set sin and temptation aside. Number two is, golly, we could, we could camp on this list for weeks and I'm trying not to. We've got to take thoughts captive. Philippians 4.8 says, think on things that are good, pure, perfect. And it goes on, says, of good report. At the end, it kind of wraps them all up by saying, think on things that are worthy of praise. In other words, what's, what, if I don't take thoughts captive, then those thoughts, bad thoughts, wrong thoughts, thoughts that aren't worthy of praise, they start to wear on me. You know what the number one thing is in a long-distance race or any kind of race, really? It's your mind. You've got to control that mind. Why? Because your mind starts playing with you and you will defeat yourself way before you get to the finish line. At the very least, you will slow yourself down. You've got to take control of that mind. The devil knows that, so in one way he wears on you, he starts telling you how this won't work. He's like, did did God really say whatever? Same thing he did with Eve. Did God really say that? Is that what he really meant, that he would really heal you? Wouldn't it be better just to have spiritual healing? Did God really say that? 
Well, that's not worthy of praise. That's not worthy of hope. It's not worthy of joy, confidence, expectation, any of that. If you're walking in the promises, you know your promises, you know the heart of God, then you'll say, whoa, time out. That is not of God. It is definitely not worthy of praise. I'm not spending one more second thinking about that. Uh Uh-uh. And all of a sudden, now you don't have that thought wearing on you. You don't have that thought wearing on you. So, take your thoughts captive. For, uh, Philippians 4.8 gives us that big summarizing point that says whatever things are worthy of praise. If it's not worthy of praise, you don't need to be thinking about it. Right. Well, such as, it can be true. It can be a fact. Well, John went out in the town and he was talking about you and telling how bad your sermon was on Sunday. That may be true. He didn't do that, but that may be true. It may be a fact. But I've got no business, according to Philippians 4.8, thinking a thing about that. Not one thing. Well, whoop-de-doo. My part is to think on things worthy of praise. Not defend myself, not think about the ramifications of what that might cause. My job is to think on things worthy of praise. So, even if I hear that, I can say, you know what? God is my defender. No weapon formed against me or the church will prosper. Every fiery dart will be quenched. No evil will befall me. I can think on things worthy of praise. The devil's trying to get me to think on other things that will wear me down so that I won't receive in due time. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6 Uh, talks about that you've got to take those thoughts captive, any thoughts and speculations. And then it says it like this. I'm just going to paraphrase. Anything that tries to set itself above what Christ has said, what Christ is, who he is, his love, anything that's above that, that tries to set itself. In other words, it tries to say, I'm true, he's not. This is more true than Christ is or what he paid for or that it's finished. Anything, he says, you take that captive. You bind that thing. You throw it down in your life. And then he says, you bring that thing into obedience. You bring that wrong thought and you bring it into the obedience of Christ. You bring it in. How do you do that? Well, you say, I'm not even going to think about that. Matter of fact, let me put faith towards what he did say and watch this, watch that thing get put down and bow its knee to the promises that Christ did say and his true character. These things help us. How do we take those thoughts captive? Well, one of the first ways is, in Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And then we see the example of Peter on the water. He did not take thoughts captive about that wind and the waves. He started focusing on that, whereas before he had set his eyes on Jesus. That's why he was walking on the water. He was winning. Then he got So when those thoughts come up, and they are not Jesus, and they don't put eyes on Jesus, and they don't, they're not worthy of praise. i got to set, in order to not grow weary, I've got to set my sight, set my vision on what, what Christ has said, what he's done, who he is. Right. In order to get there, I've got to know him. I've got to know him. <clears throat> Again, uh, resist sin and temptation. Let me add it to this when we take our thoughts captive see sin and temptation has a way of lingering if we don't immediately deal with it Uh, the lord gave me an example years and years ago about bad thoughts and you know things that were anti-god and he said if you can imagine the devil uh you're a wall and the devil is balling up this junk mud and he's throwing it at the wall And if you don't wipe that junk off of you, take those thoughts captive, it'll dry there, and then you've got a bigger problem. So as soon as you recognize it, and the sooner you can recognize it, deal with it. Just deal with it. It's not hard to deal with it. Just resist the devil. He will flee. This is a promise. You you just deal with it. Nope, you've got no right. So, like, uh, for instance, this week, Luke wasn't feeling good. Well, it... He, he was having these points where he's feeling, feeling bad and then feeling okay, then feeling bad. Well, every time he had one of those where he started feeling bad, no, uh, no curse. You got no right in this house. You got no right here. Don't try to come back. 
Well, he did try to come back. So I'm not beat up about that. You know, he's, the devil's going to be the devil. You know, he's going to try to be the scoundrel that he is. Okay, well, you've got no right here again. In the name of Jesus, I receive healing. And we watch this go, you know, and you've had that probably in your life. Well, why does he keep coming back and I can't stop him from coming back? Well, there could be other reasons. I don't know all of them now, but the, the matter is this. The fact is this. God wants them well. And so no matter how it got there, the first thing on God's heart is, how can I save that person? How can I get them to that place? So no matter how it got there, God's heart first is, let's get it fixed. I want to be your savior. I want to love on you. That's his first heart. Amen? We've got to resist sin and temptation to the point of death. In verse 3 and 4 uh, of chapter 12, it talks about this. It says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. In other words, when you have sin and temptation, see, you haven't gone to the point where Jesus was in such temptation and he was striving against it that he shed blood before he went to the cross. This is, this, he gave us the example and doesn't mean that we have to sit here all the time and be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I looked at that magazine. You know, it, it doesn't have to be like that. He's saying Jesus did it this way so that we could be empowered to put it down. He's saying that you need to get to the place where your heart is. I'm willing to go to that distance if necessary. And then you look over, uh, resist sin and temptation to the point of death. You look over in Revelation chapter 12. In verse 11. Everybody loves to quote this scripture, and they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And that's where they stop, most people. But you've got to understand, that's not the end of the sentence. It also says, they, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. They applied the blood. They testified. The word of their testimony lined up with Christ. This goes back to the 2 Corinthians 10.5. Uh, where he's talking about taking those thoughts captive and bring them into the obedience of Christ. I'm now lining my testimony, my belief, with the blood of Jesus up with the promises that he made. And I'm not allowing something else to subject itself. But then it says, and they did not love their life even with faith with death. This means that I take this conviction of the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony and, and these things that would try to come against me, I take the blood of the Lamb and I make his testimony my testimony. If he says I'm free, I'm free. If he says I'm healed, I'm healed. I make it my testimony, and I take it even to the point of death. Doesn't matter what my flesh yells at me. Doesn't matter what my life gives at me. I take such conviction with me that I'll even take it to death. Well, what did that do for Jesus? It, this is, doesn't have to do this for, for you necessarily, but what did that conviction do with Jesus? See, one of the things is, we don't, man, I am giving y'all so much uh, tonight. So, you, you don't know what this feels like when he's on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You've never felt God forsake you. But I can imagine in that moment, his flesh did not want to carry on with faith. But he knew what he was after. He knew what he was about, the Father's heart and carrying that out. And he took that faith even into death. And that moment, as soon as he said, uh, why have you forsaken me? The next thing he said was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, right? And then he gave up the ghost, he, and then he died. But see, you've got to understand, the father had just forsaken him. Right. Technically, he was not his father at that moment. He had forsaken him. He had 
given away his son so that he could receive you as a child of God. And he had, he had to forsake him. Now, what I'm saying is, you don't know how that felt at that moment like it felt on Jesus, and yet still, even to the point of death, he kept his testimony and the covenant of his blood, and what he quoted into your hands, I, I commit my spirit, Father. He was speaking completely by faith. This was not something he had at that moment. He was not his daddy's son. But by faith he said, Father, in my hands I commit my spirit. And I think it's in Psalms, uh, maybe around 40. There's a, there's a, he had found himself in Scripture, and it says right there, it says, even though they have laid a trap for me, you will catch me in your net. You will catch me, and into my hands I commit my spirit. He had found a promise in that word that concerned him, and he knew, even though the Father had forsaken him, he had promised, you will get up in three days. And he, by faith, without even having the Father backing him like we do, he said, into your hands. I, he, was, he was declaring that promise and the vision right there when his flesh was screaming at the worst, and he said, even to to the point of death, I will take my faith. And he went into that with faith and died. And most everybody would say, that's the end of it. That's the end of it. But three days later, that's right. <laughs> it was not the end of that's it. Right. What can God do with us who we have not lost our father? We have an advocate in his ear. Right. His name is Jesus. Right. What There's a condemner and there's an accuser, but it does not matter. We have Jesus. And then what can it do if we get to the point where we know how to declare the blood of Christ? We know how to make our testimony line up with his promises and who he is. The testimony of Christ is who I am in Jesus' name. And we learn how to take that even to the point of death. You overcome. You overcome. Every time. Because he's already won. The, the, The point is not that people would believe a lot of times. The point is how long will you take it? And not let go of it. And grab a hold of it with conviction. To not grow weary, you've got to resist sin and temptation to the point of death. Number four, just be patient and persevere. Don't set your clock on whether or not God was successful based on a calendar day. Because who's to say that you're, you know, he taught me this by using finances at one time. And you've heard it, most of you have heard it before, but... We're believing God for something, and if it didn't get there in a certain... Uh, we're believing him for an amount. If it didn't get there by Friday, we were going to bounce some stuff, right? It's already been written out there, and we're about to bounce some stuff. This is years ago. Don't, don't do that by faith and uh, say, well, I'm believing in faith, unless you know that you know that God's told you to do that. But we, there was some stuff out there we'd already written for uh, some reason. I, I, we couldn't stop it. And... Um, Man, if it didn't get there in Friday, it was going to start bouncing. And when it started bouncing, whew, I didn't even want to think about the steamroll effect that would happen or the snowball effect that could happen. And the Lord said this. He said, so if I don't get it by Friday, my promise is null and void. And I was like, this is one of those situations where I shouldn't answer, right? <laughs> this, is, this is one of those times where I probably shouldn't answer you. And uh, I, was, I think I was just quiet. <laughs> and um, he said, why do you think? So what happens is on Friday, you're just going to let go of faith because Friday came. He said, how do you know that I won't bring you what you needed on Monday, plus all the fees and then some? You are attaching your faith project to a date, and you're letting the date be higher than my word. So, in other words, what's happening is, you know, 
you are taking that thing that's trying to present itself higher than God and not taking that thought captive. I was letting a calendar date rise above the promise of God. My job was, as a believer, is to take that captive and put it into obedience. So just be patient, persevere. James uh, chapter 1, and this is just really powerful, verses 2 through 4, and we're about done for tonight. Oops. James chapter 1. Verse 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, our American fleshly mind reads that verse and goes, but the issue is we don't understand that the trial is not a trial. It's already one. It's easy. God said it should be easy and my yoke, my burden, it's easy and light. In other words, you're seeing something that's heavy that I've called easy and light. And the problem is not the weight of it. The problem is how you're seeing it. Even in a verse that I put up this morning, I I haven't seen this verse like that, but I think it was Psalms 139. It says, even in darkness, I will have light. So that's what he's saying. It's like Jesus on the water. Y'all have heard me say that a lot of times. Jesus is on the water, you know. Everybody looking through binoculars from the shore would see the disciples fearing for their life. They're under a heavy burden. They would see Jesus at peace. Now, which one was it? Was it heavy or was it light? Well, it was heavy for the disciples. It was light for Jesus because he knew the promise. And so it was perception was the bigger issue. He knew he was coming through. They didn't. That He believed the promise. They didn't. That, that's the issue. So it says here, consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials. You'll find that the power of God will come through trials and, and advance the kingdom. And when you realize that there's no trial that God's not going to overcome in your life and that becomes a reality to you, then you're not scared of trials anymore. You, you, don't, you just let them, let them do what they do, but I know I'm winning. He always leads me to triumph in Christ. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, it produces endurance. In other words, every time I go through and he gives me a vision, that endurance is built. So the next time I can believe for something else and higher and bigger, and the next time something higher and bigger because I'm constantly building my endurance, my perseverance, my patience. In financial terms, you know, today you may be believing for $50. Well, you just keep believing God and you'll build that endurance up. And then all of a sudden you may be believing for 500 and then 5,000, then 500,000. The faith is no difference. It's just what God's told you to do and whether or not you continue to apply patience and faith and have gone in obedience through the ones before. Let, let it do what it's done. And then it says, and let endurance have its perfect result. So the result of of endurance is perfect and that you may be perfect and complete. Endurance result is that you are complete, lacking in nothing. Nothing. So be patient. Persevere. Don't run from patience. And then repeat. Do it over and over and over again. And uh, we read uh, in uh, 1 Samuel several weeks ago, 17, 34, and 37, that David said, look, he was with me with the lion and the bear. He's going to be with me with Goliath too. In other words, he had gone through, caught the vision of God, caught the provision and the protection side of God with the lion and the bear. Faith had been built up. Uh, Perseverance, endurance had been built up. He's like, this Goliath guy, he's going to be different from the lion and the bear. I don't care how big he is. If God's told me I can go get him, I'm going to go get him. He said he allowed his uh, experience to build up hope. And that's exactly what Romans chapter 5 says. I'll let you go read it and see it. But basically it shows how you go straight from experience into hope. In other words, what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to do, 
is continue winning these faith projects, letting God grow us and grow us, and then we got, once we get a few faith projects under our belt, every time we get to a new one, we're strengthened even more because all we do is look back at the old faith projects and say, God came through, God came through, God came through, God came through, God's going to come through. And build up that hope inside of us. Faith's success is pressing by the power of God's promises through the pressure of your flesh to stop. And each success makes it easier to repeat. Faith's success is pressing by the power of God's promises through the pressure of your flesh to stop. And when you do that, you win. Every single one of you are winners in God's eyes. All you have to do is just take Christ by the hand. Do it the way he did it. He was, he was that perfect human being disciple having faith in God as a man and showed us the perfect example on how to do it. We just need to copy him, imitate him, follow him. Amen? Amen. 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 I was seriously, seriously planning on being done tonight at 8 o'clock. I was seriously, then we had extra song. It's the extra song's fault. That was, <laughs> no, you, y'all were drawing. And when you draw like that, uh, that's the kind of stuff you get. So Lord, we just thank you. I just, I just want, if anybody needs prayer tonight whatsoever, just come to me afterwards. I want to go ahead and dismiss everybody. But uh, Lord, we thank you. That we have faith projects that we can win in Jesus' name. Every single one of them. We can win. We can win. We can win every one of them. You're bigger than them all. And if, you, if we're in it, if we find ourselves in it, it's because you gave us the vision and the promise in the first place, which meant we can enter into that promised land. Lord, we won't harden our hearts towards it. But we'll run right into it. We won't harden our hearts towards how long it might be taking us. We won't harden our hearts towards what we think we, what we know or what we don't know and judge it by who we are. We'll judge it by who you are and we will win our faith projects and we will grow and we will help others and we will continue to win and continue to grow and increase for you. Father, we thank you for it and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great, great night. What are you turning?